Hello, we are the Illinois State Board of Education and we love Illinois schools. I'm Dusty Rhodes in the Public Relations Department. We have a guest host today. Lindsay Record leads the communications work for our learning renewal team. The team focused on helping schools bounce back from the pandemic. In this work, we have a statewide initiative that goes by the acronym REACH. REACH stands for Resilience Education to Advance Community Healing. Lindsay's guests are two people on the front lines of that mission, Dr. Mashana Smith, Director of REACH at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago, and Marla Graham, Principal of Lovington Grade School in Arthur School District 305. I'll warn you, you may need to have a box of tissues handy. Here's Lindsay. Principal Marla Graham and the staff at Lovington Grade School looked at student data to better understand their student population. The school was participating in the REACH initiative and wanted to understand the challenges their students face. They looked at that data in December of last year, and the results, she says, marked a turning point for their school. My staff is amazing, and they already kind of had a good handle on things, so I came into a really good place of that. But I think there was kind of a turning point. We had um, a staff meeting, it was December of last year, and we, we looked at our data. We just looked at, like, how many of our kiddos our free and reduced lunch, how many of our kiddos, um, you know, have lost a parent, how many um, have a parent that's not allowed on property, how many um, are listed in an OP or have, you know, they have an OP against somebody, how many just are foster kids, how many are adopted, how many are have lost a sibling. Like, we looked at that data and it was just so humbling because I think that was, not that they didn't get it before, but if anybody was on the fence, that, there was just this almost tangible moment of, oh my goodness, like no wonder math doesn't matter today, right? And so I think, and then Carrie, you know, Carrie, we sat down and we went through some questions and how are we doing? We rated ourselves on how we're doing with some of these things. And out of that, um, we were able to kind of see where we needed, you know, where are the holes? What are we doing really well? What could we do better? What can we bring in that we don't have yet? And so out of that process, we um, brought in a um, SEL screener a social emotional screener, we're using the DESA here. Um, so we were able to get that through that grant um, and use it this year throughout the district, which gave us more data, right, to, to help us to give specific instruction to the places where kids were needing that. That data analysis provided the staff with a clear reminder that children may have unseen trauma lurking beneath the surface and that it can affect their behavior. What does it mean to be trauma-informed? I think it's just an awareness that, for example, that a behavior, it might not, you know, it might, there's usually a bigger cause or an issue underneath. And so oftentimes, I think traditionally in education, prior to, you know, maybe some more awareness of this SEL, and I do think COVID brought that about, the awareness more, but I think we've had these concerns and just maybe didn't realize it as much. Um, but we would treat the symptoms, right? A kid would misbehave and we would get the consequences. And that would be that. And now I think we look at a trauma-informed school is looking at what's going on, like what beyond this behavior, what was really going on. Um, I think just a personal story, um, I um, have had the privilege of adopting some kiddos. And um, early on, um, my son was, adopted son, was uh, kindergarten, first grade was okay, went to second grade, really, really struggling. Um, hiding under his desk, just an odd behavior, like things had settled, right? He was with us, he was safe, and and I, I couldn't figure it out. And so and the teachers reached out, like, what's going on? And um, so I, you know, let me come over and just observe him. 
and I was there all of five minutes and knew exactly what was wrong. His kindergarten and first grade classrooms had been interior spaces, but now in second grade, his classroom was close to the main road. So um, he had switched sides of the building. He was sitting on the roadside and he could hear a diesel truck or his birth mom drove a diesel truck. So he was certain she was coming to get him. And so he would trauma respond to that, but it got looked at as, as a misbehavior because they didn't realize what was really happening. Um, and so it, just being aware and looking at things like what really might be going on, what's triggering this? Is it at 3 o'clock every day? Why? You know, why is this behavior? So looking at the times, looking at um, the environment, what's going on that's triggering those behaviors, and taking a deeper look and not just kind of taking that surface behavior and dealing with it without a deeper look. I asked Dr. Mashana Smith, a psychologist at Lurie's Children's Hospital, to share more examples of what a trauma-informed school looks like. A trauma-responsive school knows how to support students and regulate those emotions, whether that's through art or through music or through sports. But there's tons of different, you know, strategies that have been proven to do that. So when we talk about trauma-responsive schools, we're really talking about five core things. We're talking about supporting um, students with relationships, their key. Um, that's the most important intervention, but also, you know, using strategies to um, ensure that students feel emotionally safe within the school environment, that they have an opportunity to get support with their emotional regulation, and all within the context of a school being very culturally responsive and um, paying attention to equitable practices within the school. And last but not least, an important thing, none of this can happen without, you know, what we call organizational self-care um, or organizational care of the staff who are doing this. So making sure that we're taking care of the staff and really equipping them and enabling them and supporting them to do all of these other things to implement the trauma-responsive policies and practices. The effort to quantify and address childhood trauma started years ago before the pandemic, but COVID-19 disruptions increased the challenges and the urgency of identifying strategies to address them. We were fortunate to be working alongside some partners from the National Center for um, Child Traumatic Stress Network. And a tool was developed called the Trauma Responsive School Implementation Inventory. But what it did, which was created great change in the field, is that it helped to operationalize and really define for schools what do we mean when we say trauma responsive, what are the different domains, and it helped them to identify, like, what are the specific policies and practices that we are talking about when we talk about trauma-responsive schools. But they also wanted to support schools and how do they utilize the data um, that they get from their needs assessment process and really develop solid, actionable action plans and goals that they can work toward. At Lovington, one of the strategies is the morning meeting, which has age-appropriate variations and can gauge everything from who's hungry to who's happy to who's scared. Here's Principal Graham again. So morning meeting is just what it sounds like. It's a quick meeting in the morning. It doesn't, sometimes it's longer. It depends on kind of the need and the groove of the kiddos that you're, you know, the, the vibe you're getting off of them. So, for example, let's just talk about our third grade. They come in, um, they, you know, get their lunch count done, and then um, a timer goes off and they run. They just love this part of their day, and they sit um, in a half circle, and they have, um, they pass around a bird. It's kind of their talking stick. And they sometimes have prompts, like, you know, um, what was, what's your favorite, you know, memory from the summer? Um, sometimes it's um, more specific. Um, you know, sometimes it's reviewing, like, 
everybody listen now, but it's just getting everybody talking and doing some things, um, and they all just take a turn. So initially they're learning to take turns, but it's a really good segue from whatever has happened uh, with their morning into getting their brains ready for learning. And so they get a chance to have a voice, to talk about whatever. Um, so that is kind of what it looks like when they get a third grade level. Junior high level um, or even older four or five um, grades, they um, I, some of them do like a digital check-in. So they come in and they grab their Chromebook and it's, you know, how how did you sleep last night? And they rate it like on a Google form. Um, you know, how did, you know, is your tank full? And, you know, did you have a good breakfast? You know, no, I'm starving. And just, you know, is there anything you want to talk to me about? Or there might be a, like a fun challenge question of the day. And it's just a quick way to connect to them. But then as a teacher, they get a good gauge, you know, on how their kiddos are feeling that day, um, how they're coming in. And, you know, if you, for example, is your tank full? No, it's not. Okay, like, hey, here's a granola bar. You know, just we're just kind of taking care of some of those um, basic needs so that we can um, get them where they're ready to learn. After you completed the trauma assessment, you looked at this data, you know, were there practices that changed in your school as a result of what you what you learned through that process? I would say some of my staff was doing morning meetings prior to that. Now all of my staff is doing morning meetings. Um, flexible seating, we brought in a, some of them. Again, it was like some people were doing we kind of a hodgepodge and we just kind of brought it together like we need this. And now it looks different, right? Flexible seating in junior high does not look the same as flexible seating in kindergarten. You know, it, we have differences there, but we all have that same mindset. And we're looking at that. And our conversations, we talk about restorative justice. We talk about natural logical consequences and fixing what, you know, how are you going to fix the situation? You caused the problem. How can we fix it? Um, that kind of stuff. So the, the vocabulary has changed. So we have calming corners also in every classroom. Um, that's a change. We've had it in some, but not all, and now we have it in all. Um, I think we do have the TCI training, so some of my staff was aware of some of that de-escalation um, training, but I think we're all talking about it now. Dr. Smith says one of the impacts of the pandemic is that as educators have become more attuned to the social-emotional needs of their students, this new perspective has also made them more aware of their own emotional needs. From my perspective, I think what's changed, I think maybe we were getting there before the pandemic, but it definitely kicked in, uh, is us not only being concerned about students' well-being, although that's always there front and center, but the level of attention that we're paying to our educator self-care, I would say, has changed. I, you know, educators feeling overwhelmed themselves, educators struggling with their own adjustments um, and stresses that were related to covid and not being able to um, be fully present for the students without some support from their colleagues or peers within their school building and from administrators. And so I would say what has changed or at least has um, gotten a lot more attention, deservingly so, is the amount of effort and attention that we're pouring into our educators. No longer is there the expectation that they support students' social and emotional development without really understanding and appreciating our need to support their, the adults, um, social and emotional development and well-being. And so that's what I would say uh, from our end has changed the most. And just across the board, you know, we have an opportunity to look at lots of the, the assessment instrument data that we've been talking about on the TRSIA. And almost uniformly what we see, it does not matter what geographical region we're talking about in the state, 
is that schools are rating themselves the lowest on staff self-care and making a commitment to change that. I would echo that, Dr. Smith. I think um, I think we're maybe finally at a place where it's okay to not be okay and to admit that and ask for help. I think um, before the pandemic, I don't know that we were as aware of how much. I mean, we need each other, and I think we didn't realize how much we needed that community and those relationships and connections until we didn't have them. And then it just became maybe more socially acceptable to say, hey, I'm not okay. Um, and I think that's great. I think um, the awareness of that our staff need support. I think they're weary, and you know the the educational challenges have grown tremendously as um, kids have missed significant amounts of education. And we're you know we have developed um, a schedule here. We call it our walk intervention schedule. Where we meet and we do specific targeted interventions for reading. Um, and we every day we do specific targeted interventions for math every day, and now, um, midway through this year, we added a specific targeted time for intervention um, throughout our entire building for SEL, we, and we use that DESA data once we have that data, and we began a grouping and working with kids specifically, whether it's self-awareness, um, social awareness, uh, motivation, you know, growth mindset. We're working on all of those competencies, um, and I don't know that we would have done that prior to the COVID. So. Let's talk about that a little bit, the staff well-being part of it. I hear that that is coming up a lot in the assessments, and school leaders are realizing that this is an area that we need to work on. What are some ways that schools can support staff well-being? I think one thing is to physically go and check in on your staff, to go in and say, hey, or like, hey, I noticed you're having a rough day. Can I step in for a little bit? Um, I have attempted I, um, where, you know, what can I help you with this week? So now, you know, there's a, a Google form and they can send me a, like, hey, I need help this week with or I'm struggling, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, being able to be accessible to my staff um, and, you know, walking with them through those things and being aware, you know, being aware. And when it, I mean, in my building, we're, we don't, yeah, we're, it's just, you know, it's, again, one of those trauma things, like, I don't want to hear raised voices, that is going to trigger so many kiddos, and when I see a teacher start to get frustrated, I can step in, or what I love is any one of my staff, like, there isn't this feeling like, oh, I've blown it, and now here comes Mrs. Graham, right, or here comes so-and-so, but it's like, hey, uh, yep, I need to tag out, I need some help here. And um, we just switch places and we, you know, and then someone is going and talking. Um, another thing that we are doing differently, I would say, is after we have a child who's maybe been in crisis, we are intentional about our staff conversation after the child has de-escalated, has returned. Um, then, you know, I'm saying or someone on the team is saying, hey, are you okay? Do you want to talk about that? Um, that was really frustrating. You know, you know how are you feeling? And just being more, I think, intentional really is just the key word there. Mm-hmm. I love all of those ideas. And the thing that I would say, just add a few more, I think, you know, we often hear about, like, calming corners and, and physical spaces being made available for students. What I've seen schools do is now make the same physical space available for the adults and for the educators. So fixing up their staff room, being intentional about what that, you know, climate is like within that space and having a space for educators, just like we do for students, 
I've also seen schools begin to make the school counselor available to the staff as well. So typically, the, you know, historically, the school counselor has been available for the students, but now scheduling appointments with the staff and just making um, their presence known and making themselves accessible to educators has been a change that I've seen in recent years. The other thing, of course, is schools um, just really being more thoughtful about building a sense of community. Uh, among the staff, whether that's having outings or doing, you know, breakfast together in the morning, but building community and hopefully building and strengthening relationships among the staff, I've seen uh, quite a bit of that. And then the last one I'll mention that I've seen is administrators, school administrators have become much more uh, cognizant and aware of trauma and its impact and just the needs among their staff is not engaging in, in as much shaming um, of educators taking off. I, I think in our field, if we're being honest, oftentimes educators, you know, are encouraged to, you have spring break and you have summer break and, you know, they're pretty lent or we have the holiday break, the winter holiday break. But knowing that educators may need time off at other times besides that and I think engaging in a lot less shaming and encouraging folks to take the time that they need. Um, I've definitely seen improvement in that area um, in the past three years. I want to turn the question back to um, Principal Graham here um, that you could answer one of two ways. What has been the impact of this work that you have seen, changes that you've seen in your building, or, or what, do you help, what do you hope to see as you continue on this path? I think that we are on our way to reaching a goal. I think that you're never, ever there, right? You're always working towards becoming better. Um, and so one of the big things we talk a lot about is you have to Maslow before you bloom, right? So we have to meet those basic needs. We have to make sure kids are fed. We have to make sure they have shelter, they, that they're warm, all of those things before we have the right, you know, to, to be listened to and to teach them. Um, so I think that has happened um, greatly. We have done some other things besides um, SEL stuff, but I would argue that SEL was the foundation we needed to have in place, right? So we have seen tremendous academic growth this year. More, uh, actually, we had a data day yesterday um, where we sit down and we look at the data of all of our kiddos that we meet as teams, and we, um, you know, move them up and, you know, whether they need more support in phonics or whether they need to be in a different SEL group or a different math group. We talk about all of those things, and we talk about every single kid. And um, I asked the question to my um, title teacher yesterday. I said, in all of the years, she's, she's been here a long time, of you doing this role, would you say that we've had the same amount of growth? And she did not hesitate said, oh, absolutely not. We, I have never seen the amount of growth we've had this year in kids moving, especially our middle kids. Um, we work really hard with our tier three kiddos. And she said, I can usually get them, like, non-readers to be readers when I'm working with them. But this middle group of kids, those tier two kiddos, have struggled, and we help them, but there's just not enough. She felt like there wasn't enough of her to help them enough, and we're doing this watchdog intervention, which helps. But I would argue it's because they feel safe, because they're fed, because they don't have to worry about, their, you know, any of those things while they're here that that's why we're seeing some of that growth um, more, more than what is traditional. Of course, our main goal is those academic gains, and they are a common byproduct of social-emotional learning. We ended our conversation with a reminder that this change takes time. You know, I'm encouraged. 
um, by what Principal Graham said, and just engaging in their progress, monitoring it, and, you know, being hopeful for change, and recognizing that sometimes change takes a while, right? Um, but laying the foundation, engaging in all the right practices, and, um, and recognizing it, that it's a long-term commitment, that there will be some changes that schools do see immediately, and there will be some that they do not. Um, but being in it for the long run, I think, is just key. And what I'd want to remind schools to do is that sometimes, you know, the change may not be seen overnight, but we know that these practices and, and you know, changing in our policies really matter. I like what, and just want to piggyback on what, uh, first of all, Graham was saying is that it's important to, you know, think of a trauma-responsive school as not asking what's wrong with children but what's happened to them, right? and having a good understanding of what happened or what may still be happening in their world and, and recognize how that impacts students and being able to take that into consideration as we educate and, and support the growth of our children in schools. So um, just in, in summary, I would say really pleased with how many schools have kind of um, taken to the REACH initiative and Really, when they've taken to it, they're they're making a commitment to the children and their families and their staff, frankly, um, to be more trauma-responsive and really to meet those social and emotional needs and place the importance of those at the same level that we place academic needs. And I would say, I know I said it before, but I would say even more so, right? Like, we can't even get to academic needs if we have social-emotional needs that aren't being met. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's a, that, that's a great... Uh, Ending note, thank you both so much for your time. I appreciate you sharing um, your perspective and your stories with us. That was Dr. Mashana Smith from Lurie Children's Hospital and Marla Graham, principal of Lovington Grade School, speaking with Lindsay Record from our learning renewal team. REACH offers free on-demand virtual learning to help educators support the social and emotional well-being of students and staff. You can learn more by going online at isbe.net slash reach. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.